You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. We all know of a baby soft spot and they're very pliable. That's how they got out of that birth canal. So I have to manipulate the baby. It's deceased and I have to hold it up by its neck, however I can, and use scissors to get the skull open, which takes a lot of hand strength. Have you ever ripped apart a deceased infant with your own two hands? Have you ever stored a human brain next to the frozen broccoli in your refrigerator? Can you differentiate between the smell of common roadkill and the pungent and unique odor of a decomposing human body? Have you ever removed maggots from human remains, covered them in acrylic paint, and then allowed those universally reviled larvae to crawl about a canvas unknowingly and unwittingly creating something that could be described as art. If you answered no to any of the preceding questions, you are not my new co-host. We've never devoted an entire episode to one of our co-hosts. To that point, we've never had a co-host whose daily occupation aligned so closely with the thematics of this show. The new co-host of Where is the Line is named Holly. Holly is a supervising forensic autopsy technician in the greater Kansas City metro area who maintains a side hustle that I hope you'll find almost as disturbing as her main gig. I think you, the listener, will soon agree that it would be extraordinarily difficult to imagine a more appropriate co-host for this show. After months away from the microphone, I am so glad to welcome you all back to this optimal iteration of Where is the Line? Where is the Line Season 2? Kansas City Nights. That gave me chills. Good job. <laughs> it's so hot the way you say larvae. Say it again. Larvae. It's so hot. <laughs> Man, it's so sexy. Everybody drinking blood. Everybody eating brains. Some monster party. Everybody eating flesh. Everybody breaking bones. Some monster party. Thank you so much for listening to episode 40 of Where is the Line? As previously mentioned, there is someone new with me today. It is once again time for the changing of the guard. Our last co-host, Robin, is one of the kindest and most wonderful people you could ever hope to meet. But we no longer live near each other. I have, since the last episode of Where is the Line, moved 11 hours away to Kansas City. And so we have to say goodbye to Robin. Robin, if you're listening, I love you. I miss you. And I'll see you again the next time I am forced to visit the characterless, generic shithole that is Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'll see you then. Love you, Robin. As much as I hate to say goodbye to Robin, who was a wonderful co-host, I think the show is just about to level up. 
Finally, after all of this, I would like to introduce Holly. Say something disturbing, Holly. Brains. Brains. When you hear the word brains, honk your horn. Also joining us today is Sebastian. Hello. Since our last show, as I mentioned, uh, I moved away from Tuscaloosa, Alabama to Kansas City, Missouri, and Sebastian is in many ways directly responsible for that. Yeah. So, Sebastian, so you're just listening to this podcast one day, and suddenly the host, who was previously unknown to you, moves to your town, messages you all the time, and now you've got to deal with me? Now that I'm on your bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're listening to this podcast, and all of a sudden the host moves to your town, and you're like, is that weird? No, I think it's fantastic. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's. I mean, I never thought that I'd actually meet you in real life, to be honest. Like... How disappointed are you? I'm not. Not <laughs> at all. Yeah, Sebastian recommended the podcast. I started listening, and then one lonely night, I hopped on your Zoom meeting, and then we met through there. And then you came to my birthday party. I yeah. came to your birthday party. He was your birthday present. He was. You were my birthday present. <laughs> this, is, this is weird. <laughs> you were. <laughs> you asked numerous times, like, is it, is it strange? Am I unwelcome? Is it strange that I'm coming to your birthday party? I didn't bring anything. And we're like, Kevin, you are our present. I feel like usually for people's birthdays, if they know me at the situation where somebody needs to be asked, is it okay if Kevin comes? <laughs> no, not at <laughs> all. So I'm just going to talk no. about not disturbing shit until everybody leaves. Yeah, but I was already his friend, so you're never going to top <laughs> I know. the gross That's shit so that I so fucking say. exciting. If we don't get to go to fucking Crime Con, which by the way, my, my dream in life has for several years been to go to CrimeCon in some official capacity, like to speak, not just go to it. I don't know if I've ever heard of CrimeCon, to be honest. It's, it's fantastic. Nancy Grace goes and she wears Ugg boots. Oh, I hate her. Well, I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> Wait, that it's great. I... I'm just saying it's big. Are you? That doesn't sound good at all. No, Nancy it's just Grace saying it's reputable. Like, that, it's reputable like Nancy that. Grace is there. It's reputable. So, before we get into our discussion with our new forensic autopsy technician co-host, I'd like to thank a few patrons. I don't think I've ever been especially shy about relating how shitty our Patreon is, but in case you're new and thinking about helping us out, uh, maybe don't. <laughs> no, I mean, I view the Patreon as a way to support us if you like what we do. You'll get some stickers and the occasional life update, but I just, I don't want anybody to think that there's any kind of like, patron-only episodes or anything like that. I just don't want... I really appreciate when people sign up for the Patreon, but I just don't want you to go into it thinking do that we you're going to get too much. Do we have new ideas for... Because we're going to nix the whole watching a porno that you send. Yeah, one of our levels, uh, our $10 level, we would watch your favorite porno <laughs> and critique it and send you a video, video of us doing so, which was funny at the time because at the time, Samantha was talking about this crazy Japanese porn that she was into, and that's what started all of that. Uh, but once that died down, it just kind of seemed like a creepy thing to do. So <laughs> we're going yeah, to stop doing the porno thing at the $10 level because several people have actually joined at the $10 level and have left a note that was like, I just wanted to join at the $10 level, but the porno thing is eh. I think you should yeah. do personalized ASMR. Yeah, we'll think about it. If you've got any ideas <laughs> for our new $10 level on the Patreon... Maybe uh, leave us a voicemail or send us an email or something. Let me know. I could use some help with that. I'll be thinking about it. So if you'd still like to join the Patreon, despite what I've just told you about <laughs> it, 
you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash where is the line. So if you'd like to join the worst Patreon of all time, sometimes it's good. Sometimes I'll get on a roll and post some stuff. Sometimes I don't. Anyway, don't expect much. Patreon.com slash where is the line. All that being said, our new patrons are, and I feel like I've named a few of these before, so maybe some people left and came back, or maybe I just fucked it up again. The patrons that whose names I am going to say today are Aaron Giles, Michelle Cribble, Jordan Zegra, Claire Sexton, and Elizabeth Gunaka. Thank you all so much for becoming patrons. Now, I think we got all the housekeeping done. Are you ready to get into this episode of Where is the Line? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Do it. I mentioned in the monologue that my new co-host has experience ripping apart deceased infants, but this is not just a hobby on her part, it is part of her job. So, Holly, you were telling me about this, and obviously I'm aware that autopsies do need to be performed on children sometimes, and I suppose that I just never thought about how the light weight of an infant affects how you have to approach that autopsy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially whenever I do... I'm used to doing... I mean, I live in America. I'm used to doing autopsies on people that are 180 plus pounds. Uh, recently, I've had 400, 500, 600 pounders. And so then whenever it comes to this tiny little infant, it's much different. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, and not that I've spent a lot of time imagining infant autopsies, but... If I were to try to imagine it, I would imagine, you know, the body there on the table and the knife very precisely and delicately making whatever incisions you need. But it's a more brutal process than that. And I wanted to start here because of all the fucked up stories that you've told me, I think this is the only time I've thought, if we talk about this on the show, we might lose some listeners. Yeah. So yes. let's start here. <laughs> let's just go ahead and get let's it out of the way. Let's just get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, so can you talk about your experience with child corpses and how those autopsies differ in the way you perform them as opposed to those that, that you perform regularly on full-sized adults? Yeah. So first and foremost, it's always in the back of anybody's mind that's doing this line of work that... An infant isn't responsible for their own life, and they also cannot communicate what's wrong with them. So we have to figure it out with, like, no clues, basically. So usually in adult people, we know that they have complained about shortness of breath recently or headaches or whatever. So you know to just look at the lungs as opposed to everything else. Right, and it kind of gives us an idea of what to pay attention to. But babies, they can't, uh, they can't indicate that, and sometimes it's unfortunately very sudden. And those are the ones that I get. I don't get the terminally sick babies. I get the really sudden ones. So what are some of the procedures that you have to do? So specifically for infants, uh, we do all of the extra testing for viral and bacterial and stuff, all that boring stuff. For some of the horrible child abuse cases, I get to do some specialized dissections that I in particular am unfortunately good at. I don't I don't know how else to say. <laughs> it's something that needs to be done. I'm really good at it. But at the same time, it's horrendous for normal people to think about. Yeah. And, and I've talked to some people on the show who do jobs that I feel like we have to get past this part where you have to explain I'm not a horrible person, right. you know? <laughs> Sorry. Like, 
I know that you're not a horrible person. You know, I've interviewed people who do these horrible things like picking up the scraps that are left over of people after they've yeah. been in terrible accidents yeah. and things. And it's your everyday job. I right. Think, you know, it's, it's, I think like, like we try to do on the show, you don't make fun of the people, but sometimes, you know, situations are funny and you can laugh about that. Right. And whenever you do it every day, it's a different perspective than people who uh, have the shock factor about it only once or twice in their life of having something experienced. So I do it every day. Don't think that I'm a horrible person. <laughs> but uh, one of my more specialized dissections is removing eyeballs. From infants. Specifically infants. That's it, an image. It, Yeah. And most people think it's going to be through the eyelids. And it's it's not. I don't go through the front of their face, the part that you look at. Um, it's actually after the brain removal. You can actually take the eyeballs from the inside of the skull if you know where you're at. So it's very specialized. Um, so you've obviously removed the brain prior to this. Yes. Yeah, you remove the brain first, and then you can see, like, basically the back of the eye orbits. And uh, specifically, I'm looking at the optic nerve, and it's only done if there's hemorrhage. And if there's hemorrhage, there's a really big problem because it shouldn't be there. So it's always for a really good reason. But it is really creepy, like, after I get them out. And you... You know, a lot of people, like, people tell me disturbing stories all the time, and then, you know, it's whatever, it just rolls off of me. But you said something to me one time that, and I didn't say anything about it at the time, and it didn't really bother me, but it was, I, I think I got that little bit of shock <laughs> the, yeah. that normal people get when they hear about the things that I normally just talk about on a daily basis. But you were talking about, um, you were doing something with the corpse and infant and you had to pick it up by the neck and oh, like I know rip things about. out of it um no that was specifically for removing the brain so the thing is is that baby heads don't have fused skulls so they don't have the suture lines um, meaning that i cannot take my normal bone saw to it and like an adult i use a bone saw because their bone is yeah, what fully you're fused. Used to seeing in movies of you know, right. they cut that nice little crown off the top of your skull. Yeah, yeah, that. In babies, we can't do that um, because mostly we all know of a baby soft spot, and they're very pliable. That's how they got out of that birth canal. So I have to manipulate the baby. It's deceased, and I have to hold it up by its neck, however I can, and use scissors to get the skull open, which takes a lot of hand strength. Do you like hold it by the throat or the back of the neck like a cat? However, no. <laughs> oh my God. No. Uh, um, I never imagined. I thought that was a valid <laughs> so, question. I'm sorry. So it's just by, it's well, just, maybe it's a new technique. It's too. just to support the head so I can have control over it while I'm moving it. So I'm not only using one hand with scissors, but I'm also using my other hand to control the movement of the head as I'm opening it. And so it's just a little easier that way. And it's a very strange thing to teach. And I think that's what I was telling you, that story. You were, now that you say that, yeah. Yeah, so not only do I do this, but I have to teach it. So I teach doctors, I teach residents, I teach fellows, and I teach incoming forensic techs. There's an experience where you're holding a dead baby by the neck. Yes. With one hand, a pair of scissors in the other. And there is someone in this room with you who has never seen such a thing yes. before. And yes. they have to learn this. Yeah. And uh, the worst part is, is that usually if I have to do one of these, um, it's obviously for a good reason. And a lot of the time there's a detective watching me do it who is not used to seeing this on a normal basis. 
they're used to seeing awful things, but not like this. And every time I get so self-conscious of them watching me, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm so, I'm just letting you, if you need to leave, that's fine. <laughs> we'll do what we need to do. But every time I profusely apologize to whoever has to watch me do this, it's kind of like getting caught with your pants down. <laughs> I feel like, what? I, I always like, <laughs> I would, it's one of those things I'd rather somebody not watch <laughs> me do. <laughs> like, I can imagine that you'd prefer not be observed while yeah. you're holding a dead infant by the neck. Yeah. This is interesting. This is this is one of those things that I think I, I think that we do particularly well on the show is finding these little details that I mean, most people would just say, you know, like there was an autopsy performed on the baby and you never really think about things like what it takes. You're going to have to. I mean, if you were to try to just drag a knife across something that's only, you know, under 10 pounds, it's just going to slide around on the table. You got to right. hold it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I just think it like, I know I've said this before, but I can't believe that you're actually going to do this show with me. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like You said that a couple times last night. <laughs> I know. But I'm so glad that you don't know how to edit audio or you would just do your own fucking show and be famous without me. I know. I have no idea. And I have no interest to do that on my own either. That's just not something that I am. Uh, I would have the dedication to do. I'm a nerd in other ways. So you were telling me one time that you were faced with a body for which fingerprints were needed, but the decompositional state of the body prevented it from being fingerprinted. <laughs> and you had this amazing solution for this that I've never heard before, which is fucking incredible that I've never heard this. What did you do? Um, so I will say that uh, I did not come up with this on my own. I did some research and I figured it out. So I had a case where this particular individual was deceased outside in Missouri in our humidity for who knows how long. Summertime. Yeah, an extended period of time. Um, it was a homeless individual, and due to the sloughing of the skin, it was gone, basically. The skin had sloughed off of the hands. There was no prints to get because the skin was gone. The individual had no teeth, had a broken pair of, I think, just upper or just lower dentures with no name. We can't do dental x-rays. And even then, most people don't know if you do dental x-rays on somebody, there's not a database for it. You have to have an idea of who they are. Yeah, to match it again. To match it, to compare against. So anyway, this individual also happened to be a homicide. And so we were particularly interested in trying to identify them. And I think it had been like, I don't know, maybe three weeks or so. And I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to identify this person? Because basically supervising in that job, I have to come up with all these really weird solutions, try to figure out how to identify them or how I can do that, how different techniques of identifying. So basically I started researching fingerprinting without skin because there was no skin on the hands without the dermis. And ultimately, what did you end up doing? Uh, I found a FBI paper that um, talked about in a very short paragraph, basically they call it, called it the boiling method. And so what I have to do is if, and this is a last ditch effort, if there is no other way, and this person had been hanging around my morgue, hanging in my morgue, we didn't know who they are. People don't know what you're going to say yet, but I'm pretty sure once it comes out, they're going to assume that this isn't the first thing you do to get fingerprints. Correct. <laughs> so this what did you do? What did you do? Um, so I had to ask permission first, and then I um, just, I cut off the hands. <laughs> I cut off the person's hand. 
at both of them. And then I got some water uh, to about 200 degrees, just below boiling. Boiling, I think, is 213. And I took the hands <laughs> were dislocated, <laughs> taken from the body with some, and I'm talking, we went to the dollar store and got a pot and some metal tongs because we were, this was like, okay, oh my God, we have an idea. Let's try it. And <laughs> is everybody we, excited about this? Everybody's this excited. We're like, we need to figure out who this person is. And so my boss is like, yeah, let's, let's figure this out. And so it was off this FBI paperwork. I didn't really have anybody to ask. It just had this short paragraph. So basically I cut off the individual's hands and I dipped them into the water. Boiling that water. Boiling water. Just below boiling. Just below boiling. Yeah. And I literally watched a clock for about 20 seconds. And what it does is it like tightens it up, kind of like cooked meat. That's, that's, that's what you're doing. And it makes all that ridge detail that was underneath the outer dermis pop out again. And so I had to work really quickly and use some fingerprint powder and some little sticky squares that we have for it. And I got fingerprints. And I identified And you this, identified the identified fucking this. body. Yes. I was so excited. I was so excited. Um, turns I can't out, believe you're doing this fucking show with me. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really exciting. I'm a super nerd for my job. Super <laughs> nerd. Yeah. I can tell that you love your job. Which yeah. Makes me very jealous and like hating a little piece of you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It, it, it was my dream job. As weird as that sounds and as grotesque as it is, it is my absolute dream job. So... I also mentioned in the monologue that you have a very interesting side hustle. And the side job of yours led to you giving me the best excuse I've ever received from someone who needed to cancel plans with me. Uh, you and I <laughs> were going to go to a drag brunch when I was visiting Kansas City from Alabama. Because drag brunches is, is something you can do most any day when you don't live somewhere super fucking shitty like I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm bitter about Tuscaloosa. I don't know if it comes across, but well, now I'm you're in a better place. Bitter. Anyway, and you messaged me that we were going to have to reschedule this brunch because you had to go pick up a brain. Yeah, <laughs> I have never <laughs> had a better excuse for you. Did tell me that too. You said, "Well, <laughs> that's a great excuse." So, what is your side hustle? And tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so basically, somebody reached out to me from the Mayo Clinic, actually. Uh, but I remove brains for research facilities. So someone dies, you go to the hospital, collect the brain. Uh, or funeral homes. Funeral homes uh, will let me do it. So I have to kind of improvise. By the way, that was brains. The honk your horn. Oh, honk your horn. I never, I never see it. I never <laughs> hear it when it comes to it. <laughs> But sometimes you have to take these home with you. Uh, yeah. So it depends on what kind of facility I'm doing it for because it's research facilities. So, for example, ALS, MS, early onset dementia, that kind of stuff. I'm on a national database for brain collection. These facilities just know that I have the capability and the skill set to do it. And if it is close enough to me, I go into it. And some of them like to have the brain half fixed as in like formalin in formalin and half of it frozen. So I remember it because... Formalin similar to formaldehyde? That's exactly what okay. it is. So basically, um, I will have to cut the brain in half while I'm there after the removal. And a little fun fact is they like the right frozen. I remember that because right and then frozen both have R's. Because <laughs> sometimes they have to clarify. They I don't know why they like a particular side, but they do. And the left goes in formaldehyde or formalin. I call it formalin. Um, but yeah, one time I had a really late gig. 
I had worked all day. And then they're like, hey, can you go get this brain? And it's like two, two and a half hours away, I think maybe. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm exhausted. I get there and I think there was like some kind of complications with the arrangement because usually they are just, it's it's in the person that's doing the donation. It's in their final wishes. And so um, usually the funeral home is made aware like, hey, this is going to happen once this once this decedent makes it to your facility, are you cool with that? Most of them are. I've had one that was like, no, absolutely not. And the body had to go somewhere else. But by the time I got home, it was very late. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I was very tired. I had been up since about six in the morning and I was going to work the next day. And so I was like, man, I really don't want to have to take this all the way back to my office. So it goes in your freezer. Yeah. So the half that was frozen, it was in an ice, it was in a plastic bag in a empty ice cream bucket, which I bought empty. It didn't have ice cream in it previously, but you can buy them online. Did you have a roommate at the time? Me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sebastian, were you told that there'd be a brain in the freezer? Uh, I I was in bed, very depressed. And I got a text message that said, hey, just a heads up. There's a brain in the freezer. And he didn't even come look. No, I was really depressed, so I didn't go look. He didn't but. even come look. But I then I got. I, I, I thought I, it would make him happier. That's right. the reason why I told him. But then I, I got to go with her to do one of the extractions mm-hmm. once, and that was great. That was fun. Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body. Hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. He did great though. It's so quick. It takes like twenty minutes. I just FYI, I will do this for free the next time you need somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it's very helpful to have an extra set of hands. It's not just because I'm being morbid. It is very helpful to have an extra set of hands. And like you just said, usually people are very quick to volunteer for that. And I have offered. Oh, people are quick to volunteer for it. To, I would have thought you would have had trouble finding someone to come help well, you collect a brain. All my friends are my friends yeah, for a true. reason. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, they're all. People like us. Yeah. Average people would probably have a hard time finding somebody who wanted to go cut off the top of the skull of a cadaver and right. get the brain out of it. But amongst our circles. <laughs> yeah. My friends are usually um, pretty excited about it in a very interesting <laughs> way. Uh, so, yeah, I ask for assistance sometimes because, one, I really hate driving on my own. I hate driving in general. I hate it. And so if it's more than like an hour away, I will try. If somebody doesn't want to just go just for to see me to do it, I'm like, I will pay you to drive me because I hate it so much. Well, this comes with the caveat that I am from Alabama, a place which gets no snow. And I have moved to Kansas City, a place where like it fucking snows like hell outside and everybody acts like nothing's wrong. Yeah, no, nothing's <laughs> wrong. It's fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, it snowed I, and it was gone like two gone days now. later. It's gone now. I broke my sponge broke. Your sponge. Did I tell you that? What kind what of sponge? sponge do you have outside? It wasn't outside. It was in here, but it was next to the door and I oh. picked it up and it broke. I didn't even know you could break a sponge. <laughs> well, that's because sponge. your heat wasn't working. I'm not acclimated to this at all. I left a case of bubbly water in my car and it froze and exploded that and is there was like great flavored water all over hilarious my to me that you didn't know that was going to happen i didn't well, even think I'm to warn you stupid. I, know. I know that water expands when it freezes and that if you put a coke in the freezer or something it'll explode i just didn't think about it because i've for so long just been driving around you never imagined it could happen my car. Yeah. i just didn't think about it i get it so many things i didn't think about it's long okay. johns snow boots all of the fun things. And there was a period, what, what was it, a couple of weeks ago when it was like six fucking degrees outside? Mm-hmm. Six. 
And it wasn't even that much snow. It was just super fucking cold. And my heat wasn't working that well. And I'm sitting in this, like, I had been so happy about moving. I was like, (laughs) I have finally, me, Kevin, I have finally, for once in my fucking life, made a good decision. Mm -hmm. You did. But then the six degree weather comes in and my heat's not working. And I'm sitting on my couch thinking, I just went through a lot of fucking (laughs) trouble to sit here alone in this cold ass fucking apartment doing nothing. He actually but then texted it us. Up a little bit. Yeah, he texted us. I was us. getting real upset. <laughs> I told you it only lasts like a week, and then what the did temperature he say? is back. He was like, "I've made a mistake. I can't do this." Real? Oh yeah, six. The temperature is six. Six. Water <laughs> explodes here, <laughs> and everything fucking itches. I dried out when it got all that cold. Lotion. I didn't have any lotion. <laughs> I felt for a minute like if you were a kid, never caught like a frog or a bug or something, and put it in like a jar. It inevitably dies. And you don't really know why. It's just not suited for the environment of the inside of that fucking jar. And (laughs) growing up in the sweltering humidity and swampy environment of Alabama, I've never experienced cold like that. I started feeling like a bug in a jar. Like I was just going to die just for not being... (laughs) Just hanging out in your apartment. Just for being out of my environment. (laughs) You'll be fine. It'll snow like one more time and then it'll be spring. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But when I do actually get to leave the house, I meet the most interesting fucking people. I'm looking so forward to summer. Anyway. Continuing on. So, even in your line of work, things can slow down and you need to find ways to occupy your time. Sometimes you do so by creating art. Yeah, I do this at work. So whenever it's a little slow at work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It wasn't my idea. Once again, uh, one of the pathologists at my work had heard of this done before and she was so excited. So what we're about to talk about is maggot art. Yeah. (laughs) That was cute. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's so morbid, but I mean, yeah, Uh, it was, it's, it's fun to watch. So it's like, kind of like one of those, like you can just watch it forever. But anyway, um, whenever we have what we call maggot season. So like right now it's not maggot season because as Kevin was mentioning, it's so fucking cold here. There's no maggots to find, but uh, in the summer, whenever it's humid as fuck, they get active. They get active and they're fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we can collect a little bit off of a body, especially if we notice they're extra chunky <laughs> or if they're extra fast. <laughs> Very strong, strong little maggots. Artistic looking maggots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they look like they got some potential stored away. Yeah. I'm this imagining like the little caterpillar from A Bug's Life. Do you remember him? Yes. That's what I'm imagining. Like, ooga, ooga, ooga. Well, there's so many different sizes. Did you know there's jumping maggots? What? Yeah, they'll like curl up. And then boing, they like curl up into like a little curly cue and boing in the air. And you can hear them like hitting shit. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I thought I was going insane. Like I did not think, I was like, what the fuck? And like, I did not know until I worked in the morgue. That was a nice surprise. Uh, but yeah, collect some maggots off of a dead person. And then you put them in a cup and swish them around with yeah. some paint or something? No, I uh, first I rinse them off a little bit so they oh, okay. s- don't smell as bad. And you can do it a couple different ways. We tried multiple different ways. Um, you can either put like dots of paint on a canvas and then drop the maggots on it and then see where they go. Or what I did was I would dip the maggot in the paint, drop it on the canvas, and let it do its own thing and do I different colors. I feel like colors. that's the way to go. That's the way to go.
Thank you so much for listening to episode 40 of Where is the Line? If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts unless you listen to podcasts on Luminary, which is a shitty podcasting platform that pays only the most prominent podcasters for their exclusive content. If you were to extrapolate this business model out to the point where it becomes profitable, which Luminary is not at the moment, thank fucking God, it would spell the end of independent podcasts like ours. I love these rants i.e. the ones that nobody listens to. (laughs) So, acting as though I had any weight whatsoever to toss about, I have had our show removed from Luminary's library. So fuck Luminary. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts except Luminary. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to reviews. We got a couple of reviews to impart to you. Carly DM writes... Horrifying in the best way. This is the only podcast I've listened to on the tube train. That's an English person. (laughs) Where someone has asked me if I was okay as I was pulling such a weird face. I was introduced to Where is the Line by my sister when we were discussing the Russian doll collector. That's Anatoly Moskvin. Yeah. They were discussing that story that is featured in an episode, and that's how she discovered it. I've always been a fan of the weird and the macabre, and was an avid subscriber to Bizarre Magazine in the 90s. This podcast is like a natural progression from the stories featured in that magazine, but with the freedom and information access that 20 years of internet gives. The episodes are well-researched and balanced. Kevin, the host, is delightful to listen to, and clearly puts a lot of work into each episode you have We do now. We do now. You can tell that all of the hosts have great rapport and a genuine interest and fascination in the subjects that they discuss. Not for the faint-hearted, but utterly enthralling. Lots of love from the UK. Thank you so much for that review, Carly DM. That was nice. Thank you. The reviews are almost always so nice. Moving on, Anderson28 writes, A Diamond in the Rough. I took this summer to binge Where is the Line after a co-worker suggested I give it a try. I was hooked five minutes into episode one. I think that is... Isn't that the Chimp episode? Chimp episode, yep. Yeah, Yeah, it's tonally very different from the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do during that one. I'm just waiting for people to start calling Kevin hot, and I know he's got one saved in there. (laughs) (laughs) Not every episode has been a five-star winner for me. (laughs) 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 But overall, I can't get enough. Each time a new co-host is introduced, I am sad to see the old one go. But you have a tendency to pick excellent partners who only help enhance the storytelling. Keep them coming. Aww. Aww, next. <laughs> I think I think Anderson twenty eight is going to be real excited about the new co-host. <laughs> I think everybody is. Uh, the last review we're going to read today comes from K Surge twenty two. K Surge twenty two writes funny, macabre, and well researched. Discovered this podcast by accident after my morbid curiosity led me to Google. Bugger butt. And I've been enjoying every episode you have since I found it last week. This podcast is like catnip for the large part of my personality that enjoys the truly weird, gory, and macabre. Kevin and all the co-hosts are extremely funny and likable, and they toe the line very well, <laughs> given the gory details, but not being tasteless or sensationalist about it. Part of the impressive way they deal with topics comes from the amount of careful and exceptional research that clearly goes into each episode. 
It made complete sense when Kevin mentioned that he has a master's in library sciences. Shout out to information sciences. I work in an adjacent field. Given how well researched everything is. All this to say, this is an awesome podcast. Thank you for making it. If I had a horn, I'd honk it all the way from the UK. Thanks so much, KSurge22, another UK listener. I love that. Moving on to voicemails. So I literally was having just a moment of a meltdown trying to get my car to call my husband. And finally, when it beeped, I told it to go fuck itself. And it brought up your number for me to call. I just thought that maybe you guys might find that funny. <laughs> and I'm not even fucking joking. And by the way, my favorite curse word is dickhole. Have a great day. <laughs> I feel like AI, I feel like technology has come too far when you can just proclaim go fuck yourself and your phone automatically knows to call me. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of perfect. We got one more voicemail to listen to. I heard a little bit of this one. Or I saw a little bit, so I'm looking forward to it. Hey guys, I've been a fan for a while and I am just now getting around to leaving a voicemail. My introduction to the show was the Pam Babcock episode. My friend said, hey, this was really fucked up. Here's a good podcast about it. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And uh, since then, it's been a rabbit hole of disturbing shit. And I could not love you guys any more than I already do. P.S. Kevin. You're hot. Ah, I'm just going to say it. All right, toodles. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have such a big fucking man. I feel embarrassed now. Why? <laughs> Take it. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under your